Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And today we're going to be starting a new series that will take us to Galatians chapter 6 as we talk about the new love. Now, if you've been with us in 2021 for any of the Sundays, it makes sense to you that we're in Galatians 6, because though this is the first message in this series, we have been walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians for much of 2021. We have seen that there is a new normal that Jesus has established uh, through a new covenant that has created a new way, and that way is through his life, where we might be able to relate to God and have a real vital, life-giving relationship with Him. And then over the last several Sundays, we've been seeing how there is a new power inside of this new way that has been given to us. And that new power, of course, is the Holy Spirit that God has placed in the hearts and lives of all who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we have been talking about all of the new that Jesus has made a way for us over the last several weeks inside of 2021. Well, over the next three Sundays, we're going to be wrapping up our study of Galatians by looking at chapter 6 and seeing this new love, this this new way that this new spirit plays out inside of community. And so the, the question that we really want to ask as we begin this series is this, what does it look like for a community of people to be empowered by the Spirit of God? What does it look like if, if all of us here in this place were living dependent upon the new power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, what would that look like inside of our relationships? Well, if we were to summarize chapter 6 of Galatians, we might summarize it this way. Christians love each other, and Christians help each other. Christians love each other, and Christians help each other. Now, when I say these two phrases... Someone in the room wants to raise their hand right now and tell me this. Thanks, Pastor Obvious. You just want to say that, right? That may be the most obvious thing that I could possibly say. What is it that we are to do as Christians? We are to love each other. What is it we are to do as Christians? We are to help each other. And and those two statements are very obvious. And yet, How obvious is it for us to know how to live those out? So before we we just dismiss this series as just another time of us gathering together, we need to come with a sense of expectation. Because though it may be obvious that we're to love and to help each other, we don't always know what that actually means and what it actually looks like for us to live out the love of Christ in our relationships with one another. Over the next three Sundays, we're going to wrap up our study of Galatians by seeing what this new love looks like in the church as we live it out in relationship together. We're going to see the first installment of this series in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. So if you've got a Bible, you might take it and turn. We're going to spend our time in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 today. I want to read these verses for us, and then we'll back up and make three observations It will help us understand what it looks like to live out the life of the Spirit. Paul writes to his friends in Galatia, and he says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, friends, in these five verses, we're going to see three things that will help us know what it looks like for us to live dependent upon the Spirit. What are those three things? Well, the first thing that we see is in verse 1, and it is this. The spiritual demonstrate love by restoring the overtaken. The spiritual demonstrate love by restoring the overtaken. Again, we see this in verse 1. So where do we see that? Well, verse 1 begins with this word brothers, and it's important for us to see that little word because it reminds us that what he's getting ready to talk about is a family discussion. What Paul is getting ready to expound is is something that ought to be present inside of a community of people who are dependent upon Jesus Christ. When Christians gather, we are in one household with God as our Father. And so we are brothers and sisters. And as we gather as brothers and sisters, there ought to be some things that we do, some ways that we treat one another. And one of those ways is mentioned here in verse 1. So after making this general comment about brothers, he begins to talk to those who are spiritual, to those who are spiritual. Now, who are the spiritual? Is he talking here only about those who have a spirit? Is he talking about those who are spirited? I mean, who's he talking about? Well, when he talks here about those who are spiritual, I think we need to remember what he said in chapter 5, specifically in verse 16 and in verse 25. In chapter 5, verse 16, in our study that we just completed, we saw that we are called to live by or walk by the Spirit, to be dependent upon the Spirit's resources. But not only are we to walk by the Spirit, verse 16 tells us in chapter 5, but verse 25 reminds us that we are to keep in step with the Spirit as we live by the Spirit. So when the Apostle Paul here talks about the spiritual, who he's talking to are those who are dependent upon the Spirit of God. So as we gather inside of the household of God, those who are dependent upon the Spirit of God will do certain things. Not only will they exhibit certain fruits, we saw that last Sunday, but they will do certain things. Well, what's one of the things that those who are spiritual will do? Well, we see here, they will move towards those who were caught in any transgression. They will move towards those who were caught in any transgression. Now, what does it mean to talk about one who is caught in transgression? I think that the idea of this phrase is not someone who is celebrating a life of sin. It's not someone who is trying to say that some sinful activity is actually right. It's not someone who's trying to convince us to walk away from God. But one who is caught in a transgression is one that has found themselves overtaken by sin. That's why when we talk about this this point, I, I mentioned that we are restoring the overtaken. 
We who are spiritual are to move towards those who have been overtaken by sin. This word caught might refer to a runner who has been chased down by someone from behind. Or it might refer of someone who has stepped in a trap as they are walking along a path. People who find themselves caught in sin, overtaken by sin. We are to move towards them and not away from them. We might think of this, friends, in terms of Jesus' response to the woman who is caught in adultery in John's gospel. This woman is brought to Jesus. How does Jesus respond to her in that moment? He doesn't say, get that woman away from me. No, even though she was caught in the very act, he sees the anguish in her eyes. She was caught in that moment. And rather than judging her, instead, he reaches to help her and to assist her and to care for her. And so those who are spiritual are to have a similar attitude and perspective towards those who were caught in a transgression. Now, Jesus had strong words for others, right? The self-righteous, those who were celebrating their life of independence and sinfulness, how did Jesus talk to them? How did Jesus talk to the Pharisees, for instance? He said, you guys are a bunch of snakes. But when it comes to one who was caught and overtaken by a sin, he reached a hand of help. And so we who are spiritual are to move towards those who are caught in a transgression. And what are we to do with those who are caught in a transgression? As we move towards them, we are to restore them. We are to restore them. Now, what does this word restore mean? In the original language, this word can have two different meanings, and I think both can be at play in this context. The first possible meaning of that word restore, it's used in the original language of a bone that needs to be set. If you have a broken bone, what happens? Well, the bone can get displaced. And if the bone gets displaced, guess what? It hurts. It causes pain. I remember when I was in high school, I was playing football and I threw a pass. And when I threw the pass, I, my, my hand hit a helmet that was coming towards me on another player. And when I hit that helmet, my hand did things that hands aren't supposed to do. And my bone got displaced. And I still remember going back that night to the emergency room and the doctor manipulating the bone to try to get it back in line. Now, that story was not intended to make you squirm, but it was intended to remind you that things that are out of line cause pain and discomfort. And someone who is living their life out of alignment with God's truth is inflicting pain not only in their own life, but probably in the lives of others. And so we who are spiritual are to move towards the one who is caught in transgression and we are to help them come back into alignment with God's truth. But not only are we to help align them, but also this idea of restoration has the idea of mending a net, like a fishing net. It's used of the apostles after a night of fishing. They, Jesus finds them on the shore, and it says that they are tending their nets. They are mending their nets. In other words, after a night of fishing, some holes have developed in the net, and so they need to go back to that net, and they need to stitch it back together so it can be useful again in service. 
This idea of restoration is not just bringing into alignment, but it's also helping people return to a level of usefulness in sight of what God's plan is for them. And God's plan is for them to be a blessing to others. And so those who are caught in transgression, those who are spiritual, are to move towards them to help them come back into alignment with God's truth so that they might be restored to a level of service and ministry. This is what we are to do, friends, if we are dependent upon the Spirit of God. Now, that's what we're supposed to do. But, but what do we normally do? When we find a brother or sister who has been overtaken by sin, what do we often do? We don't move towards them. What do we do? We move away from them. And when we move away from them, why do we move away from them? Well, in part, we just want to avoid them. As if that has nothing to do with me, I'm going to move away from them. But the other thing that we do, not only is we move away from them, but we don't just become silent about them. We, we, we talk about them, right? We move away from them and we go talk to somebody else about them. We might even go to social media to talk about them in those kinds of things. Now, let me ask you, someone who moves away from one who is overtaken by sin and talks about them to others and mocks them and maybe posts to social media about them and feels better about themselves, a little self-righteous because they haven't done what that person has done. Let me ask you, is that lifestyle consistent with living according to the flesh or consistent with living according to the Spirit? It's connected to our flesh. But we are to live not by our flesh, but we are to live by the Spirit. And if we are living by the Spirit, we will not move away and talk to others about them, but we will move towards the one who is caught in sin, that we might help restore them, bring them back into alignment, and help restore them, mend their net in service. This, friends, is what we are called to do in Christ. It's part of what it looks like for the love of Christ to flow through us. Again, this is the work that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. And now in his resurrected state, it's what he wants to do through us in the work of the Spirit in the lives of those around us. And as we do that, we are to do it with a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness. What, what is, where, have you, where have you seen this word gentleness lately? Where have you seen it? It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, Right? So we who are spiritual are producing spiritual fruit, one of which is gentleness. So as we move towards those who are overtaken by temptation and we try to restore them and bring them back into alignment, we are to do so with a spirit of gentleness, which we have that fruit within us if we are walking according to the Spirit. And what does gentleness mean? Well, in this context, I think gentleness means something like this. Seeking to restore while causing the least amount of pain while causing the least amount of pain. In other words, we don't move forward with a heavy hand, regardless of any other thing, just to have people feel as bad about themselves as they possibly could. That's not being gentle. It's not the way Jesus dealt with this woman who was caught in adultery. It's not the way Jesus deals with those who have been overtaken by sin, who are caught in its snare and its trap. With gentleness, we move towards with the hope of restoration, of mending, and of realignment. But not only are we to be gentle, 
but also we're to watch ourselves lest we too be tempted. We're not just to be gentle, we're to be humble. See, the one who is spiritual doesn't go to someone and say, I can't believe you did that. I could never do that, but you did that. No, no, no. We walk forward and we say, there but for the grace of God go I. And with humility, we come alongside our brother or our sister, not our inferior. And we encourage them to be in line with God's truth. And we encourage them to be restored to ministry. And so, friends, this is what we are called to do. So what does it look like for us to restore the overtaken? A few thoughts. First thing, are we moving towards each other? Are we moving towards each other? You realize for, for you to have a relationship with someone where you could step into their lives and help restore them in their moment of need, you have to be around them. And here's something more. For, for someone else to be able to provide that service to you, you need to be around them. This is the reason why we need to not forsake the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, as the book of Hebrews tells us. We gather together as a church family so that we might be in relationship with people. We might be close enough to people. We're in Sunday school classes and we're in small groups together and we gather as a church family on Sunday so that we might have relationships close enough to know when someone has has been overtaken by sin, and that we might be able to encourage them. And when we get out of line, that someone might come along beside us and help bring us into alignment as well. Move toward each other. Second thing, set the bone and mend the net. You realize that that is part of God's call on your life and on mine. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the leaders of the congregation. It's for all of us in Christ. If we are spiritual, if we are dependent upon this Holy Spirit's work in our lives, then we will have a role in the lives of others of helping their life stay in alignment with God's truth and helping keep their net mended for ministry. Have a category for that. There's something greater at stake in our interactions than just enjoying a little bit of time together. Set the bone, mend the net. And a third thought, be gentle and humble as you do it. Be gentle and humble. Let Jesus be our model. His life is what is flowing through us, and he was gentle. Therefore, we need to be gentle as we reach out and minister in the lives of others. And we need to be humble, understanding that we're alongside equals in the kingdom of God, serving him together. So we are to restore the overtaken. But there's a second thing that is a demonstration of love that comes from the spiritual. And what is that? And that is that the spiritual demonstrate love by sharing the burden. By sharing the burden. Now, we see this in verses 2 and 3. Where do we see that? Well, verse 2 begins this way. Bear one another's burdens. Now, a couple of things we need to see. First of all, we see this word, one another. You know what that means? That means we've all got it. We've all got one. You've got one and I've got one. The reason why one another works is because we all have needs. Well, what is it that we have? Well, it says we all have a burden. Now, what is the word burden all about? Well, this word that is used in verse 2 has a specific meaning. 
The idea of the burden here has to do with a burden that is too heavy for anyone to carry alone. So what this verse is telling us at the very outset is that each and every one of us is dealing with something in our life that is too much for us to handle alone. That's just part of the way that it is. It might be circumstantial. It might be a temptation. It might be a medical condition. It might be something in a relationship. But there is something more than you can handle alone that you are dealing with right now. The the idea of this word burden here would be like tons and tons, right? That there, there is something so heavy, it weighs tons and tons, and you're dealing with something, and I'm dealing with something. And so as we come together, we need to one another, each other, related to this thing that is so heavy that none of us can carry it alone. So what do we do with this thing that's so heavy? Well, it says that we're to bear one another's burdens. But let's be honest. Can't we think of a number of other verses that talk about us doing something else with our burden? than having somebody else hold it? I mean, can't we think of something else in Scripture? I'm, I'm supposed to do with my burden, not just have Matt help me carry it. That's supposed to, that's maybe happens with my couch when it needs to move. But with these heavy burdens, I mean, what are we supposed to do with them? Well, in Scripture, we see a number of things we're to do with them, and they all involve the Lord. Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on who? On the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties on who? On Him, because He cares for you. And so throughout Scripture, I could put up a number of other verses, but we see again and again and again this pattern that what believers are to do is to take the weights that are too heavy for us and we cast them upon the Lord because He cares for us. But this verse tells us that we're to bear one another's burdens. Is that in contradiction to the Lord as the one that we cast our burden upon? Well, I don't think so. And Paul's life helps us understand this principle even more. See, Paul, when he showed up in the city of Corinth, was experiencing a really hard time. Second Corinthians chapter 7, he says this, he says, Or even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. By the way, I think that this could be a great headline or a t-shirt for 2021 fighting without and fear within, right? Um, This is the kind of world that we're living in. It was the kind of world that Paul was living in, and it was really doing a number on him. And so what did he do? We turned to God. He says, but God who comforts the downcast. Paul said, I'm praying to God, and God is going to meet this need. But how does God meet that need? It says, God who comforts the downcast comforted us, how? By the coming of Titus. So when Paul turned to the Lord and he cast his anxiety, he cast his fear, he cast the fighting, he cast it all upon the Lord in prayer, how did God meet that need? How did he comfort him? Not just through the work of the Spirit inside of Paul. Certainly, I think there was some of that that was happening. But also through the work of the Spirit of God that was in those around Paul, including Titus. See, as we gather here God has put the Spirit in the lives of those around us so that we might minister to one another, that we might help one another. To say it a different way, think of it like this. You are given the Spirit of God in part so that you might be the answer to someone else's prayer. 
You have been given the Spirit of God in part so that you might be the answer to someone else's prayer. God wants to work through you to meet needs in the lives of those around you. The reason why it's accurate to say that we are to bear one another's burden is is because God has placed His Spirit in the lives of those around us so that we might help lighten each other's load. Stott makes this statement. I love it. He says, It shows that to love one another as Christ loved us may lead us not to some heroic, spectacular deed of self-sacrifice, but to the much more mundane and unspectacular ministry of burden-bearing. Isn't that great? See, see, we think about loving others as Christ loved us, and we think that it means that we're going to have to die or we're going to have to do something heroic or spectacular that might be in the newspaper. But we're reminded inside of these verses that what it looks like for us to love as Christ loved is going to mean that we just are going to grab the edge of a burden and hold it alongside many others. And through that, Christ will minister comfort to those around us in their time of need. And that effect is reciprocal in our lives. What are the burdens that are mentioned here? Well, I think that certainly this idea of a burden is, would refer to anything in general that we might be burdened with, things of medical conditions or, or difficulties or struggles or, or trials that we're going through. I was talking to one dear brother here before our services started today and a number of really challenging things that are happening in his family. And I said to him at that moment, I said, you are going through something that you were never intended to carry alone. Um, And what a privilege it is for us to be able to come alongside and to hold the corner through prayer and through assistance and help in any way that we can. But I think in this context, it's not just a general call to bear one another's burden, though I think it can apply apply that way. But I think it's called to applying uh, this way by bearing one another's burdens in terms of the temptations that we face. And why do I think that? Because of the pesky proximity of verse 2 to verse 1. In verse 1, we're called to move towards those who are overtaken in sin, and we're to help restore them. And part of how we restore them is we bear the burden of their temptation with them. We pray for them in their time of need. We, we text them God's Word so that they can fill their mind with His truth when they are tempted to believe lies. We serve as accountability partners to one another. We help outline other opportunities for behavior besides just giving in to a persistent pattern of sin. See, friends, we are called to to bear one another's burdens, including in the temptations that we go through. And when we do that, I love what it says, we will fulfill the law of Christ. What would it look like for Jesus to be honored in our assembly? Part of the way it looks is that we are a group of people who are bearing one another's burdens, who are moving towards each other in our times of need for restoration, for mending, and and for realignment. That's what it looks like to live out the life that Christ has called us to live. And that requires our response. It requires us being dependent upon the Spirit and demonstrating this kind of a life in the way that we relate to one another. If we want a church like that, friends, we all roll up our sleeves and we take steps in that direction. After making this statement, though, he makes this comment 
It says, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We might put a banner over verse 3 there and say this. If, why do we hesitate to move towards others in their time of need? Well, often we hesitate in moving towards others in their time of need because we are thinking too much of ourselves. Paul says, don't do that. Don't spend your time thinking of yourself. Don't think, I'm above that help. Somebody else can do it. As the Spirit of God leads, move in the direction of the one overtaken to provide the help that is needed. And in this way, we bear one another's burdens. Friends, the spiritual demonstrate love by sharing the burden. How might God use you to share the burden in the life of a brother or sister in Christ even this week? Spiritual demonstrate love by restoring the overtaken. They demonstrate love by sharing the burden. But there's a third principle that we see that's important for us to remember. And that third principle is this. The spiritual demonstrate love by taking responsibility. The spiritual demonstrate love by taking responsibility. Now, this comes from verses 4 and 5. And I want to just acknowledge that verses 4 and 5 are hard to understand. And they're hard to understand, not because of the words that are in there. It's not big, fancy language. But it's hard to understand because how does it connect to what we're talking about inside of this section? What does God want us to learn and see from verses 4 and 5? So let me just read them again for us to reorient ourselves to these verses, and then I'll make a couple of comments about them. But in verse 4, he continues, and he says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. What's the point here? Well, I think he is calling us to a sense of personal responsibility, to a sense of personal responsibility. Remember, he has just spent time in verses 1, 2, and 3 calling us to bear one another's burdens. Now, it's possible that, that some could look at verses 1, 2, and 3 and say, that is great. Verses 1, 2, and 3 encourage people inside of the church who are spiritual to bear one another's burdens. Therefore, I want to be in a church so that everybody else can take care of me. It's possible for us to, to, to kind of view the Christian church as a collection of people in one of two camps, either those who need to be helped or those who are able to help. And those who need to help might always and perpetually be in the state of need to help, and they have no responsibility, and those who can help are always to help, and they can never do enough. But I don't think that is what Paul had in mind in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. And I think that's why he gives us verses 4 and 5. He says, we are to bear one another's burdens, but guess what? Though we are called to bear one another's burdens, there are some burdens that God wants you to bear. There are some responsibilities God wants you to take. And that's something that's made quite clear in verse 5, when he says that each will have to bear his own load. Now, this is the part of this verse that I think is confusing. Because when we talk about bearing our own load, that sounds like a contradiction to what we saw in verse 2. Are we to bear one another's load or are we to bear our own load? I mean, come on, Paul, speak a little more plainly. Part of our challenge in that is that we conflate the words that are used in verse 2 and verse 4 to be the same word, and they're not. In verse 2, there is talk of a burden 
that was not a burden that anyone could carry. It's the tons and tons of weight. But when we get to verse 5, the word that is used for load there is a word that is used of a soldier's backpack. In other words, there are things that all of us are dealing with that are too heavy for us to hold alone. But there are also things in our lives that God has packed into a pack and placed upon our back that we might have the responsibility to walk about in faithfulness to do the things that He has called us to do. Now, the things in my backpack might be different than the things in your backpack, but all of us have some responsibilities that we are to take care of. And that's true for everyone who is on the face of the earth. There is personal responsibility that is a part of the Christian experience. What will we do and how faithful will we carry the load that God has entrusted to us? See, in your backpack, there might be some difficulties that you're dealing with that are different from the person down the road. But God has packed it for you. What does it look like for you to be faithful to carry the load that He has entrusted to you in this life? Well, a couple of things that we need to think about. The first thing we need to think about in this area is just the area of our personal spiritual response to Christ. And I just want to ask the question, are you trusting in Jesus? You see, some of us in life live our lives on the faith of others. It's our wife's faith. It's our mother's faith. It's our father's faith. It's our friend's faith. That's why you're here today. They invited you, and you've come here, and you're, you're on the edges of someone else's faith, and that's gotten you so far in life. But know that there is a response that God desires from you, a personal response. Spurgeon makes this statement on, on this. He says, you, you cannot get to heaven by your mother's godliness or by your father's graciousness. There must be a work of grace in your own souls. No man can be a sponsor for another in spiritual things. Everyone must come with his own sin to his own Savior, and by his own act of faith must find peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you personally responded to the Savior? Have you trusted in Him for the forgiveness of your sins? Is He the hope of your eternity? If not, I would just encourage you today to trust Christ right where you sit. Take that responsible response to what the Lord has done for you. Are you trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? But a second response that we might think of in this area of taking responsibility is this. Are you doing what you need to do? Are you doing what you need to do? Again, this principle of us being responsible to do what God has allowed us to do by His grace is something that happens throughout Scripture. There was a dynamic that was unfolding in the Thessalonian church where they were hoping for the return of Jesus, and they believed that He was going to come back very soon. So in light of that, there were certain members of that church that had stopped working. They'd stopped working. They'd, they'd set their backpacks down. And they just were showing up to church and eating all the food at the potluck. They were saying, hey, you all take care of me. I'm just going to wait for Jesus to come back. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says in chapter 3, verse 10, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. What was Paul saying there? In light of our context this morning, he was saying, pick up the pack the Lord has prepared for you and walk with it. 
have a job. Those resources that God provides through that job, pay the bills so that he might provide for you through your participation in this process. And if there are things that we can do, we are to do them, knowing all the while we're in the context of a community that is trying to help as we can. See, friends, the call inside of these verses is that we are to take responsibility. It's kind of obvious how we're to respond, isn't it? The response of the spiritual is that we are to restore the overtaken, we are to share the burden, and we are to take responsibility. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this great truth that we've seen inside of the Scripture that reminds us of what it looks like to be spiritual. It reminds us of what it looks like to have your spirit guiding our steps, that we would be moving towards one another, restoring one another, mending the nets of one another, bearing the burdens of one another inside of a community where we are all carrying the load that you have created us to carry. Lord, may that be true of us. And Lord, I pray for any who are here today who have never trusted in Christ, that are maybe here today resting on the shoulders of the faith of another. May this morning you give them the faith to respond themselves to your great work, to trust in Jesus, to have your spirit come reside within them, that they might walk the life prepared. In Jesus' name we pray. 